Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 260 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It has been almost exactly one week since our last podcast and since the end of the Atlanta Braves season in 2020. And with a bit of perspective, after a week, a little bit of time to catch our breath, we are back. And it's the gang's all here today. I am joined by both Eric Cole and Scott Coleman. Hello, gentlemen, and welcome back to the show after, after a week-long hiatus. It has been really weird not being on pod, at least not with not being on a podcast with you, Brad, because like every other day for what three weeks or so, you know, and then doing this for the previews with both you guys, like it's been weird not being on the podcast for a week. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's interesting. I, I think all fans are probably a little different for once your team goes out, what what your level of interest is, and and obviously, as you said, it's been a week exactly since we last saw the Braves and. I don't know about you all. I've caught some of the World Series. I caught the end of Game 4, which was just insanity. Um, But, uh, yeah, good to be on. Lots of good stuff to talk about. A lot of reflection and a lot to look ahead on as well. Yeah, we are recording this in our uh, our typical time slot. But as as we referred to earlier, we basically did a show every day, essentially, for three weeks or so. So getting back to normal, if you're a new listener during that time, Thank you for joining us, for sure, but uh, don't get spoiled too much by the daily format. This is not a daily podcast. Um, it's a weekly, sometimes bi-weekly podcast, but I will not be recording every single night at midnight like I was for the last four weeks or so. But we're back in our groove. Sunday night's our sweet spot, and uh, here we are. So, you know, we heard from Scott and I after Game 7, so I'll go to Eric first. Uh, now, with a week of perspective, Eric, uh I want to know what your sort of top line thoughts are on the way that the Sears ended, the season ended, and sort of how 2020 went for you. So overall, I'm like genuinely pretty happy. If you told me even going into the playoffs that this year was going to end with a seven game loss to the Dodgers in the NLCS, I would have been thrilled. Now, obviously, you know, taken into the context of the Braves had a three, one lead in that series. You know, all they had to do is win one of three and they couldn't do it. Sure, that stinks. You know, I mean, like, because all the odds are is that the Braves are like three to one favorites in that situation. But that they were only three to one favorites tells you how good that Dodgers team is. And you see what kind of a bats, the, you know, what it's having to take to beat this Dodgers team in the World Series or, or a period. You know, it's requiring a lot of highly unlikely things to happen. And it got it made it made me feel good about where the Braves were. Um, it made me feel good about the fact that this was a Braves team that was probably my best guess was at like 70% strength overall. Like, you know what? Certainly not everyone was firing in all cylinders and there were some guys that were clearly either tired and or hurt. 
So, I mean, you know, against a Dodgers team that, you know, seemed like they were relatively healthy and very, very good, I wasn't upset about the the overall outcome. Again, before the season, if you had told me that's what it was going to be, I would have been thrilled because that means the Braves actually advanced in the playoffs for the first time since I was a teenager. Then, you know, and, you know, really putting pushing a Dodgers team that is very, very good to the limit like that, you know, put, put me in a really good place. Now, in the moment when they lost, Game seven, yeah, it was it was pretty terrible, right? And I have no qualms about saying that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, this was a very successful season and made me think that there's, you know, there's going to be some really good things coming up for this team because you can you can already see that some of these guys are already getting better. We got our first look at Christian Pache in the playoffs who looked great. Um, there's going to be some players that I don't think are going to be on this team anymore. Some I'm going to miss, others not so much. And, you know, it just made me think that, you know, that, it really felt like this was a step forward. Was it as big one as I wanted or maybe as big of a one as the, maybe the math tells us should have happened. No, but it was still a really, it was just overall, like I'm very pleased with how 2020 went all things considered. Scott break in here. Yeah. Tell me, tell me, tell me if you agree with Eric. Cause this is honestly what Eric gets into there is I think probably the biggest discussion that happened maybe in the, in the day or two after the season ended was like, there was this divide in the fan base as there would be with any fan base to be fair about like, how angry to be and how upset to be and whether it was a success or not, et cetera. So I'm just kind of fascinated by how everybody thinks. So, yeah, it's always interesting a week later when you kind of have some time to digest and absolutely once, once the game wraps up and your, you know, your emotions are high, you're stressed, you're watching all those games, games five, six, and seven were so high stress and really a fight to the very end. Um, I feel I think the same way as Eric said, if you would have told me in the middle of July that the season would end in a game seven defeat to the Dodgers, I would have taken it. If you told me when the playoffs began, I I would have taken it. Um, And because this team is so young, there's a lot of young talent on here. This is not the end of the line, or at least I, I wouldn't think so. I would like to think the Braves are still on their upward trajectory with, with all the young talent they have and, as we've seen, some of these young pitchers take steps forward. And, of course, we know how good the young hitters are. Um, not that we can bank on this kind of, of season every single year going forward, but I do think because, at least in my opinion, the Braves are still on the upswing. Yes, it hurts. It, it's going to sting for a long time, especially being up 3-1. Uh, but ultimately, it was a really good year given the circumstances, and hopefully it's one they can build on. I think it's not like a, you know, a super deep thought to – convey what we but what we all just said uh basically like that it was an overall success in the grand scheme the point is an obvious one but it's also one that's worth saying again in that you know especially after mike soroka goes down especially that but even even if you're even, even if you remove that yep. from the equation but especially you know in the days after that i think anybody with true serum would have absolutely taken a seven game nlcs loss as a massive success um even before that, I would say that's probably the case. Um, but certainly after Soroka goes down, the number one starter, and uh, after everything else that already happened with the rotation, et cetera, and we'll get into some specifics here, but um, that's all. that all makes perfect sense. I think we all agree that overall, taking a few steps back, that this is a successful season in the grand scheme. They were really good in the regular season, better than I think most people thought they were going to be, including myself. And then the playoff run, they finally won a series. They won two series. Granted, one of them was shorter, but they won two series in a row. But it all comes down to how you feel about the way that the season ended. Because if they had just lost, honestly, this is going to be crazy to say, but if they got swept by the Dodgers, it would have been easier. 
in a lot of ways. Like they would have at least there would have been look the Dodgers are better they're just for the better team would have been, would have been frustrating certainly it would have been frustrating but it would have just made a lot more sense in a lot of ways that you know they, they just lost to the better team maybe a break or two go the wrong way and you get swept or you lose in five but taking a 3-1 lead just puts the emphasis so much on the fact that you're supposed to win now and no matter how you sw- uh, sort of slice it at 3-1 you could be playing against the best team ever constructed which the Dodgers may actually be but you're supposed to win that series. You just are. Like you can't. You can't. There's no way of getting around it. So micro versus macro is really interesting here. So it's kind of there's nuance, and nuance is not something that people always enjoy. But it can be both. It can be both highly disappointing, and also a overall success, especially for a team that is young. And we'll get into a little bit later on in the podcast, like some future facing stuff as we transition to offseason mode. But this is a young team overall in general. A lot of things went right this year. A lot of things went wrong. And they still managed to make the final four and take, you know, what everybody thinks is the best team in the league to seven games. So I don't know, man. There's a lot, there's lots yeah. of nuance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, I'll, I'll speak on the Soroka injury, which was a good point. I mean, honestly, I thought the season was effectively over when Soroka got hurt. Now, were, were they going to be the worst, you know, last place in the NL East? No, but to be honest with you, that night, I wasn't sure the Braves were going to even win the division at that point. So, again, with everything, you have to put it in perspective. They had some great um, individual performances along the way. I, I don't really know how they were able to navigate a starting rotation that was so bad for really, what, 80% of the year. Um, getting nothing out of Hamels, Fulte, Newcomb, Felix Hernandez, you lose Soroka. Um, even Freed had the injuries at, at, at times during the season. Um, it really was, I think, in the grand scheme, and again, it, because it's the Dodgers, right? If, if they blew a 3-1 lead to the Marlins in LCS, it's a completely different conversation we're having than, yeah, we lost to a team that was on pace to win like 110 games over a full season. Um, I, I think that changes it for me at least a little bit. Yeah, how good the Dodgers are, and like I take some heart too, and I, I understand how some fans feel like that. You know, there's a flip side to this, where you know, if only Soroka had been healthy, if you know Ronnie was completely healthy, if they had been normal days off during the series, which is like kind of a big uh, was a big part of this. I think that those last three games, I just think that a lot of these guys were running on fumes. You know, does that change the complexion of how the series goes? And you know, but. The way I think about it is that there are just these little tiny things. I mean, if Mookie Metz doesn't make one of those three catches, the Braves are in the World Series right now. Does anyone deny that? You know what I mean? Three, like, impossible catches that he just yeah. made. Yeah. You know? And I mean, it, it th- those are Those are little help. things. No, they didn't. And they're little, little tiny things. And when it's little tiny things against what you – and again, what you said, Scott, against one of the best teams we are likely to see, you know, does that stink? Yeah. And you're, Brad's right. You know the Braves are supposed to win that series, just based on the math. Like you, you would expect the Braves to win one game in a three-game series with the Dodgers. You would think you would expect that. But you know they, the Dodgers, you know, the, and they're godforsakenly long at bats, and you know they just grinded <laughs> things out, and you know you know ga- ga- gassed our already gassed roster, and you know they they played really well. I felt like the Braves got beat. I didn't necessarily feel like the Braves just weren't good enough. You know what I mean? That it's like when, when a push came to shove, the Dodgers just made some really good plays to get them there. And I'm, I, I feel okay about that. I do. It's, it's not great. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I haven't even been much on Twitter, on Twitter much at all. Cause I haven't really felt the, just haven't really felt the talk, the need to talk about 
baseball very much is because again, it still stings just like for anybody else, for me and for, you know, for you guys and for anyone else. But at the same time, you know, I, I understand it. And that, that if I'm going to lose, then I, I would prefer to like lose and feel like that. You know, it was just, you know, a couple things just didn't go my way. Uh, and again, the, the, the being swept, you know, at least, you know, after the first two games of getting killed by the Dodgers or something like that, I could at least, you know, just accept the fact that, you know, well, there's the Dodgers just killing us again. Uh, whereas this time around, you know, this was dragged down a little bit, but it also made me feel like the Braves were significantly better than the last time they took them on. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I'm glad you said it because even in the moment as I was saying the thing about being swept, um, it would have been easier to take, but also more frustrating in some ways because eventually you have to beat the Dodgers. I mean, to, to do what you want to do, this franchise, the, the team that you're looking up at in the National League is the Dodgers. And it, I guess in some ways it's better that you were highly competitive against them in that series and probably should have won it versus where we were two years ago when we all discussed like how much better the Dodgers were than the Braves. And it was very obvious. This year, we all thought the Dodgers were probably better. But the gap was not nearly what it was. The gap has closed. Um, the Braves played well in the series. Uh, we could we could litigate all of the guys who played well and who, who didn't play well along the way. And I don't really feel like it, to be honest with you. I mean, maybe you guys want to do that, but I, I just don't want to talk about the series that much anymore. But it's just um, the fact that it, they are close. And that makes it A, more frustrating, but also a little bit more interesting and more optimistic for the future, maybe, is that they're not leaps and bounds away like this this is a roster that has some work to do in the offseason and there's some uncertainty with guys who uh, are not under contract etc but the core is generally in place and the core just took the best team in baseball to seven games and probably should have won the series so that's in some ways a positive like I'm not a glowing positive person but you could certainly spin it in a positive direction if you want to do so sure yeah no I'm with you again you don't want to you don't want to sugarcoat a loss because you still lost three I mean, one. It was still three one. You still did absolutely. <laughs> you still blew three oh, one. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's the balance of you know they were they were right there. They were toe and toe, and and they just came up a little bit short versus getting blown out as as we've seen two years ago. Um, I think there's a lot to build on. I think that's kind of my overall takeaway from this year as a whole. There's stuff to build on. They still need to get better in various areas. Um, there's things to improve. There's storylines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but Ultimately, uh, I think you come away from 2020 with a pretty good feeling. Yeah. Um, we, we mentioned a, a second ago, but what should, it's kind of worth, I think, pointing out all the things that went well and went and then didn't go well in 2020. And we'll dive into all the position groups as we get into review mode in the next few weeks. But broadly speaking, and you guys can add to this if you want to, um, we'll start with the went well stuff. Uh, Marcelo Zuna was better than anyone could have thought. Uh, Travis Darno was same, uh, was awesome. Max Free making the leap is a huge thing. Uh, Ian Anderson uh, emerging late. It's a small sample size, but we saw a lot from him that we didn't expect necessarily this season. Um, both of the left-handed relievers, Tyler Matzik, AJ Minter, uh, one of those guys out of nowhere, the other one refining it again. Uh, Dansby Swanson finally kind of breaking out a little bit. And then uh, old friend of the program, Adam Duvall, doing Adam Duvall stuff and, and playing well. Uh, that's not a comprehensive list necessarily, but I wanted to make sure that we said it out loud, like in this sort of our final like broad recap thing, there's a lot that went well. There There is stuff we'll get to in a second that went poorly, but does that sound like, like, like a pretty good list? Uh, Eric, do you have anything to add to that in terms of things that like were notably, 
obviously guy, guys like Freeman and Acuna too. But um, I was about to, I was about to say Frederick Freeman putting on an MV, NL MVP season. Yeah, we have him uh, slated to discuss later, but uh, which is why I forgot to write that down. But obviously that that's the top line. But honestly though, we we knew he was we knew he was really good. He was better than he's ever been sure. to be fair. But uh, it wasn't like a, a revelation necessarily. No, it's not a revelation, but, you know, kind of all those other things going right. I mean, look, with Ozzy out for like 80% of the year, and still he's pretty much widely considered to be one of the best, if not the best, second baseman in baseball. And, you know, Ronnie dealing with an injury issue but still being really, really good. You know, the the lineup has a lot of really fun and exciting young players in it. Uh, one hopes that the Braves will find a way to bring back Marcelo Zuna. Uh, the, the DH role being less set in stone that I would pr- like for it to be is a little bit frustrating uh towards that end because i think that that's kind of you know you have your the best dh or dh or at least one of them in the league just sitting there you know and if you can just resign them then you know that's a big hole in your lineup that you don't have to worry about anymore but i mean you're right there's that's that's a really good list um you know obviously ian anderson you know debuting late in the season and just being incredibly good um and you know holding his own against the tough dodgers team too i know that like those starts didn't like he didn't like go pitch six or seven innings against those teams, but really we didn't have anybody that could do that against he, those he guys. He was good. He was good, flat out good. Yeah, he was. He was. He was, and he was really, really good. You know, earlier in the playoffs too. Like he, like the reason why the Braves advanced in the playoffs is because Ian Anderson figured out how to pitch at the major league level in a big way. You know what I mean? Because like, you don't really like it's that Reds team where like they were like running out those pitchers too. He like matched Castillo pitch for pitch and ended up just you know, throwing shut, shutout after shutout in the, in the playoffs before the Dodgers finally got him for a couple runs. But, I mean, there's a lot to like from this season. I mean, the, the, the things that you, I don't like is, frankly, a pretty short list, and a lot of them is more, you know, like random chance that happened as opposed to, you know, like a guy just not being good, if that makes any sense. There's a few guys, but overall, I mean, this team is very, very good, and it looks like it, it, even with just some, with maybe some minor defections, it's a team that could be really good for a long time. Yeah, I think for me, maybe the the most pleasant or biggest surprise was the bullpen, and part of that is yes, Anthopoulos went out and at the trade deadline a year ago added some really good arms, and of course they added Will Smith, who was up and down throughout the year. But man, I mean, I'll be, I don't think any of us, other than maybe once or twice, mentioned. Tyler Matzik's name in when our we did our preview podcast. Oh, yeah. Either he in, is so good. Yeah, oh, I mean, man. whether in whether in March the first time around or in July uh, for summer camp, um, AJ Minter was a phenomenal story. I think it's obvious that he was just not healthy last year after that car accident. He probably rushed back. Um, you go up and down the line. I mean, Darren O'Day was awesome for a guy the Braves sat on for fifteen months after trading for him. He was phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there were all kinds of good kind of unsung heroes and every good team has guys who they aren't necessarily counting on. But I, I think, yes, we, we, we hoped, I, I think we, Dansby Swanson was our breakout pick across the board. Um, obviously Freddie, we knew how good he was. Of course he, he did his best year yet should be the MVP Acuna, Ozzy, uh, the list goes on. But for me, I think that the most pleasant surprise was how good some of those, uh, unsung bullpen heroes were. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and the bullpen overall, we they, they obviously invested heavily in it, but it worked out quite well. Um, it's kind of, we mentioned this a lot when it happened, but um, it is not always the safest thing to do to invest big money in a bullpen. Uh, it's volatile, and honestly, we saw that with Will Smith, uh, who I think is still 
a good yep. pitcher. I, I think we don't know that he's not a good pitcher anymore. But that's the trouble with relievers is that you give a guy three years and a bunch of money and he's not great for you in certain ways. He obviously was really good for a, a little bit of, the, of, of that middle of the season, but that's kind of the the one exception to the bullpen. Other than like maybe like like Luke Jackson wasn't good this year, but like Will Smith's the only guy who they really wanted to be good and invested yeah. in it wasn't great. So yeah, the bullpen was an overall success, almost certainly. I mean, to pivot a little bit to the things that did not go as well, We've well noted it, but again, it's worth emphasizing the starting pitching and how crazy it was. Like, obviously, the Soroka injury, he made three starts. That's your number one starter. Um, that guy being gone for most of the season is a huge thing under any circumstances. But they somehow got, I mean, quite literally nothing from Cole Hamels, Mike Fultonavich, Sean Newcomb, and Felix Hernandez, who never actually even suited up. Um, th- those were four sixths of the rotation. Um, they, they were the rumors, or at least the battle on paper, and in the what they were saying publicly for the fifth starter spot was Newcomb versus Felix, and the other four guys were certainly going to be there. And Freed's the only one that made more than three starts, and two of them, and sorry, four of those guys didn't make a single start, or maybe made. Oh, sorry, Fulton made a start. It just didn't go very well. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, disaster level. And Newcomb, Newcomb too, but I, you know what I mean, like. It, <laughs> It really is like crazy to think about a team that has as much success as they had, yeah, and made it that far when they lost five sixths of their rotation from yeah. when the season began. It's just it's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, if if we would have had a podcast in June before we knew that Hamels might not be ready and and Felix was going to opt out and all that stuff, but tr- I mean, seriously, I think the quick math here: those five guys made. I, I believe a total of seven total starts, one of which was three innings from Cole Hamels when he was just trying to get the, you know, get the wheels going a little bit. The Fulton Ebbett start we touched on. I think Newcomb honestly has no real business being a big league starter at this point, but they had to do it out of sheer necessity. And then of course, Soroka, whose injury was, was so unfortunate. Three. Yeah. 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 So if you told me that they would make six or seven total starts, however you want to view Felix or, or Hamels rather, in June, I, I mean, I honestly think I would have told you the Braves were a couple games below 500. Oh, yeah. So you, you could not a, pick them to make the playoffs. Absolutely. You, yeah. Could, yeah. you could not. I mean, if someone tells you that before the season starts, there is no way that anyone, even if you think Max Fried is the next is the coming of Cy Young, you, you could not look at the roster the way it was constructed and say, yeah. these guys will do this and pick the Braves to make the playoffs, much less yeah. win the division and like easily and make the NLCS. Like, that's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ar- I mean, arguably, maybe the second best team in, in on paper in baseball, right? Despite all that, so yeah, pretty crazy, Eric. I'm sorry for cutting you off. Oh no, it's not a big deal. I was just saying that you know, and like combine that with the guys that replaced those guys, what numbers they put up, and then say, okay, this is what you got from your starting rotation, <laughs> right? What what is the record of this team? You know, what I mean, no, no other information. You know, no one would have picked them to have a winning record. No one with a, with any amount of sanity, right? No, you, you, know, could, you couldn't. Yeah, I mean, free, 30, free was like, awesome. And Thirty-five that was it. and twenty-five. Yeah, I mean, Robbie Erlin, Tommy Malone, multiple starts from those guys, multiple starts that were not good from Tukey. Then those other bats still went thirty-five and twenty-five somehow and advanced to the NLCS. I have a uh, I have a stat for you, by the way, um, that I just looked up because I, I should have done this beforehand, but I'm, I'm a bad host. Um, and we'll okay. we'll dive into this more when we do our rotation review, and that that'll be funny uh, in itself. But the Braves starters only this season. This is this includes Max Fried, who was awesome. The Braves finished, according to Fangraphs, 
Uh, they were 28th out of 30 teams in starter ERA at 5.51. And they were, I believe, as I wait for the uh, thing to reshuffle itself, uh, 28th in ERA and 26th in Fangraph's war among starting pitchers. And again, nice. that's, with, that's with Max Freed performing at a like elite level, basically, the entire season. Yeah. Hmm. Bottom five, bottom yeah, five like, team in baseball in ERA and WAR for starting pitchers, and they won thirty five games out of sixty. That's that's like yeah, hard and to do. One, yeah, won the division handily. Like, it, <laughs> I don't know how, but they hit the again, ball a lot. <laughs> okay. well, 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 the bullpen being really and the bullpen yeah. was yeah the the bullpen did a lot of heavy lifting. And you know those those two three inning starts where you know Wright or whoever gave up three or four runs, and you know. Then all of a sudden they gave up nothing else, and the Braves came back for whatever the fifteenth time that season or whatever. You know that 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 was a big part of it. You know this team was constructed to kind of if they were going to have the rotation be bad, as long as they got those guys out early. You know you had the offense that could come back, and you had the bullpen that could just you know you you have, you have literally five six guys that every time you throw them out there you just think that things are going to go well. So you know in a lot of ways you know if you're going to have a rotation that can have guys like that. You know, maybe this is the way to to build your roster for that. Uh, although I admit, uh, based purely on my blood pressure, it's probably best just to kind of not do that and actually have your starters go a little bit deeper and not give up five or six runs every time they go out there. But that's just me. I, I would agree. It would have been a lot easier had they uh, been able to pitch this season. Um, obviously, that was the glaring spot. The rest of the stuff, like there's minimal things we can talk about. Like we'll, we'll discuss Ender Inciarte's disastrous season on the lineup review. That did not go very well. Uh, Austin Riley was not great this year, I don't think, overall. Uh, Camargo was pretty bad, etc. But there really wasn't a lot to point to of real disasters other than the rotation. Like, there's a little, I mean, Ender was quite bad. But everything else kind of went okay other than the rotation. Um, but that's obviously, you can't just overstate that because... Except except for injury stuff. I mean, like Ronnie right. and Ozzy being hurt. Something. Yeah, I mean, Ronnie was really good when he played. Uh, I, this was not the greatest Ozzy year in the world, but you can attribute that mostly to injury, so I wouldn't uh, worry much about that. But anyway, I mean, we could do a review for minutes and minutes and minutes. And again, we we are planning to do our traditional you know, bullpen review, starting pitcher review, lineup review. So we'll, we'll dive in further on this stuff and uh, use this to pivot ahead, but I wanted to go a little bit broad before we uh, did all that later on. Um I will open up to both of you. Uh, any final uh, sort of takeaway thoughts at the end of the season? Because after we go to a break here, we'll go, we'll go uh, future facing a little bit with some news and uh, mm-hmm. talk about what Anthopoulos said. Um, I, I just think my my overall takeaway as we talk about all this is it's really been impressive over the last three years since the Braves, of course, made the huge jump from 2017 to 2018, and they were probably a year ahead and everything went right. And then last year they were really really good, and this year again, even with the shortened season, they were good. Um, good teams find ways to get the most out of players, and I think it is becoming more and more apparent, and whether this is a product of the coaching staff, the front office, just the random luck of baseball, but the Braves have done an awesome job in recent years getting the very most out of players who they shouldn't necessarily get the very most out of. And you look at a team like the Phillies or the Mets in the division, those two teams the last three years have not been able to get the most out of the talent. Because if you look at the talent on their roster versus Atlanta's, there's really not a huge discrepancy, at least in my opinion. I don't think there's a difference of three division titles worth of of difference in those rosters. But somehow the Braves continue to get the most out of players who 
they necessarily shouldn't be or expect to get the most out of them, if that makes sense. And um, I, I do think now that we have three years worth of this team being good, it's it's becoming a trend and something they obviously uh, will hope to have moving forward. Well, I think that to your point, Scott, is that one thing is that it's not necessarily that they know which players to go at in a, after in a vacuum. It's that they know what their analytics department and what their coaching staff is good at. And they're I think they're good at targeting players that ultimately will benefit from what the organization is doing, at least in free agency. I'm, I'm bec- There's certainly some reason for a little bit of skepticism from the player development side uh, in terms of particularly pitching. Uh, there's been a little, it's been a little bit more miss than maybe you would like. Uh, coming out of the minor leagues, but this was also a weird year with you know coming off the alternate alternate site and you know getting the kind of the, the same kind of coaching and getting that same sort of game time. Like I, I I have a tough time giving dinging them too much, but I think they you know like guys like Tyler Matzik, you know guys like Darno who like they understand what those guys bring to a clubhouse and to you know to the strategy and they know kind of what wrinkles they think they could go. Hey, maybe you should try this to be a little bit better. Now, obviously. You know, guys like Marcelo Zuna, you know, going from really good with the Marlins to pretty good with the Cardinals to being insane this year. I don't think anyone would have expected that necessarily, but, you know, that was already a pretty talented guy. Um, the year before, Josh Donaldson, like the, he's hasn't wasn't able to stay on the field for the Twins. He was completely, well, mostly healthy for the Braves. I think, you know, like every once in a while they give him a day off. And then he had those calf problems in, with the Blue Jays. So I think they feel like that they know of talented guys with, like, they have no which guys to target, but I will say that the biggest takeaway for me from the season is that it actually finished. <laughs> I was genuinely yep. shocked. Like I just had no faith whatsoever that they were going to be able to finish the season, especially with like within the first, like what two weeks that the Marlins like entire roster got sick. And then the, the Cardinals and if, by, by the way, I mean, there's a couple other teams that I would have put this on to. If you were to ask me to guess which two teams which would have screwed up the season, those would have been at or near the top of the list. <laughs> and that they, that they that they messed up as badly as they did, and the season still somehow reached a conclusion, blew me away, and it meant a lot to me, and I think to a lot of people who, I mean, this pandemic has like been really isolating, and... A lot of the forms of entertainment and a lot of the forms of relaxation that we're all used to doing were taken away from us in a lot of ways. Um, I think it's for the best. I think that at the end of the day, we we all want to be get through this happy and healthy, and you know all of our loved ones happy and healthy. But at the same time, that the baseball found a way to do this, and towards the end of the season, like I stopped worrying about COVID test results because I just thought that they had the systems in place to keep this from being a problem. I just did, and I never thought I'd get to that point. I always thought I was gonna be like, oh. Here come the, you know, we're going to get to the, you know, we're going to get to the NLCS and, you know, five guys are going to test positive and then everything's going to go out the window, but it, it didn't happen. And, you know, obviously we still have some games left in the world series, so I'm not going to completely jinx it, but you know, the biggest takeaway for me is that it happened. And frankly, I think it did a lot of us a lot of good. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you said that. Cause I've, you know, not that we didn't think about it, but the fact that the season was in, in the balance at times was we, we discussed it on the podcast, but eventually it just became that the season was happening and it was going to keep finishing unless something crazy happened. But yeah, I'm glad that it all happened. And uh, as we speak, I believe uh, game five is starting in the world series. So we're, we're almost to the end. We could almost say that officially now, but the Braves made it all the way through and provided uh, quite a bit of entertainment and stuff for us to talk about. So um, as, as Scott and I and Eric have all joked about, uh, we were prepared to do like cooking recipes on the podcast 
at one point. Uh, um, it was coming. Movie, it was movie, coming. movie, 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 uh, rankings, etc. On the pod. So hopefully that will not have to happen in advance of 2021. But uh, it was going to get dire in a hurry. I, I, I can guarantee you what people are going to tweet at you asking for now. By the way. Oh, that's you what always happens. That it's what always happens. Every yeah, time we mention it, we get a couple requests about movie rankings, which is fine. I'm, uh, I want, I want, at some point we'll do that. I promise. It's going to happen. It'll be a special edition yes. of the pod. Yes. Uh, <laughs> All right, gentlemen, uh, we're going to change gears in a second, but, but first, a word from our sponsors on today's pod. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, this is going to be weird because it's been a while, but uh, some news some news to talk about right now that's not like related to games or previews or reviews. Um, the Gold Glove finalists came out this week. Always a crowd pleaser. By the way, this is new for 2020 because of the reduced season. Uh, they did like a statistical thing. It's There was qualifications people had to meet. I won't go through all of them now. But it was not the same exact way that they usually vote on these things. Um, but anyway, the three people that the Braves uh, had on the finalists list at, at their positions were Max Freed at pitcher, Dansby Swanson at shortstop, and Ronald Acuna in center field. Ozzie Albies, who might have been the favorite at second base, did not reach the innings minimum. He was like, I think it was, uh, yeah, 13 innings short, So, which is pretty crazy. But um, I don't know. I have, I have no objections here. I guess we'll go to Scott first. Scott, did you uh, have any? any I, I, know, I know we'll hear about Freeman not being there. People, people will be upset about that, but uh, I don't care about that. Uh, Scott, do you have any thoughts <laughs> on, those, on those three guys being there? No, nothing really. I mean, as a whole, the Braves have been really good defensively in recent years. Um, I'm glad that Dansby was recognized. He had a nice year, really consistent year, I think. He was a little up and down defensively early on in his career, but he, he was steady, and I think that's all you can really ask for is your shortstop. Um, he may not make a ton of sexy plays or, or you know, plays that are going to be shown 25 times on the highlight reels, but um, he's really improved defensively, and um and hopefully he's able to get one. I never know. I'm sure it just depends player on player by player how much the individual awards and all that matter to them. But 
hopefully those three guys are certainly worthy and, and deserving of it. And it'd be cool to see at least one of them get it. Yeah, I'd be a little curious to see exactly how this computer like kind of generated the some of these nominees. Because like for example, the American League, Jackie Bradley Jr. not getting the nomination. It was apparently it was apparently basically just a formula of stats. Like I, I know DRS was involved. Yeah. Uh, that was one of them, but they won't at least not, not that I have seen. They have not said like what the exact formula was. They released which which numbers were included. You know, for one in fact, one of the reasons why um, I know Dansby got some love is because Dansby was uh, a DRS darling this year. He was plus ten in DRS, um, so that that's one reason. But yeah, the, there was a couple of weird ones. Like I know Yadi Molina made some news. He was he was mad about not being there. But Jackie Bradley was one where it's like that guy's obviously a Gold Glove caliber outfielder, so it's weird. Yeah, and that kind of gets me to the the Freddie Freeman thing because I think there's things defensively about Freddie Freeman, particularly his ability to make stretches and you know catch you know catch errant throws from a variety of sources. Over at first base, I don't think that the metrics necessarily measure particularly well, and I don't know if there is a great way to measure those particularly well. Combine that with, I mean, the guys that got nominated and have con- consistently given Freddie trouble in terms of getting that that Gold Glove love are really good <laughs> defensive first basemen. You know, when you're going against like Goldie and Rizzo and Votto and all those guys, like I think part of the problem is like it's not necessarily that Freddie's bad or anything like that. It's just that he like the competition at his position is weirdly competitive when it's first base um beyond that i mean like look freed's pickoff move is what's carrying him for his for a gold glove but i really love what pickup like a good pickoff move does to a a pitcher's repertoire and you know what he can do and kind of help manage the game in a different sort of way so i really like that freed got some love there and you know dansby's been a really good fielder for a while and you know i kind of disagree like some of the plays that he makes i mean are they going to be like the anderton simmons uh, speaking of, you know, horrific gold glove snubs, uh, when he didn't win and Brendan Crawford beat him out because Brendan Crawford hit more homers than he did, <laughs> was was uh, was was nightmare fuel. But, um, you know, like Dansby's really good about like you know hunting for outs and like making like getting lead runners and you know just making these little plays and like these really hard tags and stuff like that that you know they're very difficult to do. And I think that he's you know one of the better he he deserves the the love he's getting here. Uh, I was a, I was almost a little bit surprised to see Ronnie get the nod in center field, but then I started looking at the other options in center field. I'm like, no, that makes actually a lot of sense. I had the same um, exact thing, by the way, the exact same, yeah. like, wait, really? And then I was like, oh, okay, I guess I, I guess I get it. Yeah. 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 It, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't even a knock on Ronnie. I just, I'm like, my memory was that there was just more really good center fielders in the national league. And, you know, there's not, so that's good. Uh, this also is probably going to be the last time that Ronnie's going to get nominated in center field because as soon as Christian Pache is a regular in this lineup, he's going to be manning center field. And if we're going to go ahead and handicap the 2021 gold glove races, you can go ahead and pencil in Pache's name there because as we saw in the playoffs, even just whenever he, wherever they had him, whether it was center or in right, that guy can play. That guy can play some yes. some defense. So um, overall, I mean, I, no no big issues. You know, if if there's an an innings minimum, I honestly thought that Ozzy was going to be more short of the innings minimum than he was. Um, and it's not a knock on him. He was just hurt, and that you know that stinks. But at the end of the day, you know, you do have to kind of play the game to actually get the awards and stuff like that. So overall, it, it was it was completely fine. Other yeah. than the fact that I wondered, I mean, Adam Duvall not actually getting as much love in, in left field as I thought he would because he's normally just very well regarded out there. It was a little bit surprising, but other than that was good. Yeah. And I, I was more 
joking earlier about Freddie. If Freddie had been nominated, I, I would have been fine with it. I, I'm just I've been I've been tired of the Freddie Freeman defensive discourse for a half decade now. I just don't care. Like he's pretty good. I think the I think <laughs> I, I think the metrics uh, the metrics underrate him and Braves fans overrate him. And that's kind of how I've always thought. People think that he's like uh, a, a god at first base, and he's not. He's a, he's a, he's a pretty good defender. And uh, I don't know if that's a hot take or not. I'm not really trying to put my hot take hat on, but I just think that. If you look at the numbers, you can definitely see why he's not on that on that list. And if you watch him every day, I totally understand the appreciation for him because of what Eric said, like the stretches and the digs and all that stuff. Like, I think he's a good, solid defensive first baseman that's not elite. And if he had made it, that would have been cool with me. I don't know, Scott. Am I am I wrong about this? No, I, I think you're right. It, it's a good take. He, the metrics underrate him. Fans, I mean, naturally, fans generally think probably a little higher of their players than others do objectively. But yeah, I, I think that's right on. Um, if he was nominated, great, sure. If he wasn't, I, I don't think it's a crime. It's not the no. <laughs> any of other awards, I guess. If no, uh, this is not this is not the snubbed adult snubs or anything. Yeah. No. And yeah. by the way, that's a good tradition. Uh, you know, he he was actually named Baseball America Player of the Year this week. Uh, we've talked about him ad nauseum about the MVP. He was uh, he is worthy. We'll talk about it when it comes up again. He was also the Players Choice Award winner in the National League for Most Outstanding Player. Um, all signs point to him being a pretty big favorite to win MVP, at least in these straw polls and stuff that I've seen. I'm not sure if he's going to win it or not, but as a reminder, his numbers were just outrageous. Uh, 341, 462, 640 slash 3.4 Fangraphs War in the reduced season with 187 WRC plus and more walks and strikeouts. Ugh. Uh I mean, we we've all fought on we've all fought over him enough to just leave it there. I think, but he was uh, he was awesome this year. And when the MVP stuff comes back up, or when the lineup review happens, we will do it all again. But Freddie was uh, incredible. Um, all right, what's I think this will probably be our last topic on on the podcast, but it, it's it's one we can dive into. Um, Alex Anthopoulos spoke to the media, um, a typical sort of postseason exit interview kind of thing um, earlier this week, and uh, a couple of notes. Uh, we'll talk about payroll first. Um, he was not ready to get into specifics about the payroll, which is not a surprise, especially for a team like the Braves, who are not owned by a person, but rather a media conglomerate. Uh, he may not even know what his payroll is, and if he does, he has no reason to tell you what it is, especially right now. Um, but broadly speaking, a lot of people I saw, you know, it's a popular thing to do right after a season starts. You start talking about who's coming off, who's coming on, how much money we got, etc., and we're going to do that too. Um, a lot of money coming off the books, for sure. Hamels, Ozuna... Melanson and Green are the big guys who uh, make made a lot of money uh, before the proration last year. Those guys were owed sixty three million dollars, um, so that's a lot of money. And then you got another ten ish million that they were paying out again before the prorating last year to Flowers, Marquez, Hechevarria, Tomlin, and Tommy Malone. So and plus you have Mike Fultonavich who made six million dollars. Uh, he's still in arbitration, but who knows? Um, so broadly speaking, that's a lot of money that they have to play with, but I'm going to read an answer before I go to you guys that Anthopolis gave. I'm going to read the quote to you so you get the whole context. But basically, uh, the uncertainty level is very high. This is the quote from Anthopolis. In terms of what we'll have for 2021, if I had a number, I wouldn't tell you just from a competitive standpoint, but we haven't had that discussion, and there's a lot of uncertainty. Will we have fans? What will the revenues be? But those are questions for the world and likely all of sports. We'll have to work through that uncertainty. But the focus and the goals will be the same. We want, we want to put the best team on the field that we can and get it, make, get it back to a position to win a World Series, end quote. So, none of that is offensive or surprising, but it is noteworthy that he brought up the lack of fans, the revenue question, etc. So, Eric, I'll go to you first. 
what what is your general thought to playing the playing the money game this early? We just don't know a lot, but uh, what, what what kind of reaction do you have at this early juncture to what I just read to you? I think it would have been incredibly stupid of him to say, you know, we're planning to be big spenders in free agency, because I think that what he said is correct. It's that the situation with sports in general, it's not fair to expect a team to just spend like they would normally when the reason why that they are able to spend normally a good chunk of that is the fans being in the ballpark. And we're not sure. And there's a lot of uncertainty to this, right? Like it's not as simple as just, you know, you know, if there's a vaccine or, you know, just they, the baseball decides to let fans in because you have to deal with like local governments and, you know, state governments and all this other stuff. So like, I don't, I think that it's fair for them to be like, Hey, we're just not sure yet. Um, I don't think that where the Braves think, I think what the important part is, I don't think that where the Braves are thinking right now is appreciably different than what all clubs are doing with the possible exception of the Mets, because it just changed hands into a billionaire owner who might just be wanting just to make some things happen and get some, and get some noise for his club. But I think overall, the vast majority, if not all clubs are going to be thinking this way. It's that, and that's going to come down to, you know, talking with the, the players association too, because you know, if you thought that, you know, free agency being contentious over the last couple off seasons <laughs> was happening, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that we're going to see, I mean, I think if you, uh, anyone gets offered a qualifying offer this year, guys are going to snatch those up in a hurry just because of all the financial uncertainty. You know, that's going to be better than whatever deal they could get on the free, on the open market right now. I think that, I certainly don't think that people are going to be making, guys are going to be making the same amount of money they would normally. Uh, we might see more backloaded deals too, because people are just trying to, you know, get through those these first few lean years, and then maybe they're trying to give guys their money later on in their contracts. Like, there's a lot of weird stuff that could happen this year, and I'm I don't have any problems. The, the short answer to your question is I don't have any problems with what he said, because I think that all those things are fair. But talk to me once free agencies up and going and when decisions are being made, because if other teams are figuring out how to sign, sign players and, you know, we, we lose Ozuna for a deal that I think that all of us could consider to be reasonable. And we're going to have those discussions, but if those things start happening and the Braves aren't doing anything, that's different. But right now saying that, Hey, we're just not sure where our budget is, is going to look like or what it should look like uh, going into 2021. That's perfectly fair to me. So, I have a lot of thoughts on this, right? So <laughs> I'm shocked. I, I think it is absolutely fair. And as, as we just kind of said, no one knows what next season is going to look like, right? No one knows if it's going to be 162 games. No one knows if it's going to be 60 games. No one knows if it's going to be somewhere in between. Will there be a minor league season? Will there be a, a reduced minor league season? Is there going to be spring training? All of those things apply, right? So um, I do think that it is a bad time to be a free agent. I would not want to be a free agent this year, other than maybe Trevor Bauer, who is may, probably, what, a top 10 pitcher in Major League Baseball. I think he won't have trouble getting paid just because every single team in the league will have interest in him. I would not want to be someone like Marcelo Zuna, who absolutely deserves to get paid for many, many years, uh, because I think there's just there's so many financial implications to this. And if owners don't know if they're going to have ticket revenue for any kind of game next year, right? Is it going to be reduced capacity? Is it going to be no capacity? As Eric said, a lot of the time it varies state by state, city by city. 
Um, there, there's so much uncertainty that I, I, I think Anthopolis is very smooth with the media. He is a king of saying a whole bunch of words without actually ever saying anything in his interviews. Uh, he's he is really good at it. He's he, I mean he could he could talk about ice to a polar bear for twenty minutes, right? Like he is he is the king of of saying a lot without saying anything. Um, but ultimately, I would think that you would hope that with the Braves being right there on the cusp, um, they would they would make the financial commitment to at least keep the core of this team around. Um, maybe Ozuna goes elsewhere. Maybe something doesn't work out. But to continue to have a really competitive roster here, um, even if even if the financial picture for 2021 is not set in stone, I think we're close to being on the same page, all of us. Um, you know, I would just tell people to not. I'm not trying to tell people not to think big and all that stuff, but um, you know, pointing out that there's 60 million plus, 70 million plus coming off the books does not mean that they're going to spend that much money or more to replace them uh, because of all the uncertainty and also the fact that um, for better or worse, this is this is a team that is owned by a corporation. Um, their books are not public. Uh, they've printed money for a very long time, um, but they also are not inclined to always do things the way that an individual or a family might to maybe push in and use those profits to put back in the team, etc. They have shareholders and uh, that sucks from a fan's perspective, but they are not, I mean, they, they, they lay people off in the baseball operations department. Like this is not a situation in which they're just going to, you know, spend every dime to win. Um, so we'll see. We'll obviously get more information. We're going to rely a lot on what we're hearing. Um, you know, Anthopolis is not going to tell you, even under the normal circumstances, how much money they're going to spend. But this time around, again, he may not even know what his budget is right now. Uh, he, he probably has a better idea than we do, obviously, but not like definitively what they're what's going to happen. So guys will get squeezed. Ozuna is one of the better hitters on the market. But uh, even then, it's going to be tough for him, especially with the DH uncertainty that still exists right now. So, um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting to point out this is sort of the first salvo from Anthopolis. We will see how that all goes. They, they're definitely going to have some money to spend because, you know, you're losing four or five guys who were highly paid who are no longer under contract. But, I mean, guys like Ozuna and Melanson and Green, you might want those guys back. Are they going to all come back? Probably not. But you might want to sign. I mean, obviously, they're going to try to sign Ozuna at some at some level. I'm pretty confident. Uh, Melanson was really good. They love Melanson. I know, obviously, Snit loves Melanson. Green, maybe not as much. But if you get him for cheap, it's interesting. So those guys are really important parts of your team. Hamels obviously is not going to be back. Um, but even guys below that flowers. I mean, Scott got yelled at for even suggesting that flowers, Ooh. the flowers resign. And I was like, guys, Goodness. Tyler flowers <laughs> is like an elite backup catcher. Like you probably don't want him starting at this point in his career, but I mean, we, I don't want to do the whole thing again. We'll do, we'll do it again when we do the lineup review, but uh, yeah. the hate for yeah. Tyler flowers is mind blowing. Um, anyway, I just think it's interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll obviously follow that very closely, but the payroll is going to be a topic of conversation both yeah. for the Braves and to be on the Braves. Yeah. I mean, just because those guys leave and they free up money, it's not like it's a dead money situation. It's not Albert Pujols out with the angels where, right. He's going to clear 30 million. And then all of a sudden it's boom. We can use this money to however we want that they need a bat. They need at least one, maybe two, uh, bullpen arms. They they probably need a starting pitcher in some capacity, even if it's not a frontline guy. If you feel good about Anderson and Soroka coming back they, healthy, they but, have to sign a starting pitcher. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah, I somewhere. will make I will make this rant forever. <laughs> they will sign. They need to start a starting. I, I understand Bryce Wilson showed a lot. I understand Anderson showed yeah. a lot. I understand Soroka might be back. 
if they don't add a starting pitcher, things have gone wrong. Uh, I'll say that yeah. right now on the right. I mean, if as a team that just saw, I saw some of that too. Like, well, we're good at starting pitching. We no. don't need to spend money there. No. I don't know how you can say that when you had legitimately like eight starting pitchers in spring training in March and ended up like with two and a half in your rotation once the year actually began. Um, but, but anyway, I, I know we'll dig into all this, but um, there is some money, assuming things generally hold to spend. Yes, but there are sort of also are some holes to address as well. I know Eric, and I will. Eric, 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 I feel like Eric's one of the people that want the kids to the kids to pitch. And no, Eric. Well, no. I mean, I won't allow. I'm it. actually. I think that they. I do need, think they need to sign a starter. <laughs> I'm just giving sure, you. But... I'm just giving you grief as the as the prospect. No, no, guy. no. I mean, no. Yeah, run, run. No, run the prospects out there all the all the time. I will say though that one thing that I think everyone needs to do is at least hold the Braves accountable for the fact that this is a team that was one game away from a World Series, and. You know, ever all these all these other clubs are going to be playing by roughly the same rules, and this is not a team that's constrained budget wise like the Rays or the Athletics or something like oh, that. Not even a little. Are bit. they? Are they the Red Sox? Uh huh. I said not not even a little bit. Like this is a. No. Uh, I mean, it gets into the corporation thing, but they they could spend as much as they want to spend. <laughs> There's not like well, they have I, the money. My, my, my point is, even if you're looking at it from like strictly at the spreadsheets and like you know, it's a it's probably it, they're treated like a mid-level team, but that means that they can make moves to at least maintain the current level of their roster. They're not. I don't think they're ever going to be the Dodgers. They're never going to be the Yankees or even what you know, like what the Angels do or what the Astros have had to do. You know, I don't think any of that is going to happen. But I do think that it's fair to say, you know. In a given whatever this free agent marketplace looks like, it is fair to expect the Braves to be aggressive and be active, and not just say, "Well, we had our shot." Because if you let all of this value that it was on the team, if like Marcelo Zuna's and Shane Green and Mark Melanson's va- value just leaves the team, both in terms of dollars as well as in talent, then this team is significantly worse next year, and I think that fans will be understandably pissed off about that. Now, is it fair to kind of say, hey, you know, you guys need to increase the payroll that it was over what it was, what it would have been in 2020 uh, to in 2021 because they won? I again, it's fair to say that that probably won't happen because there's other economic things in place. But I also think that those are the same of the same changes that all other baseball clubs are making. But as long as the Braves are being competitive in the world that we occupy rather than just kind of sitting it out because they're not sure fans are going to be there because I guarantee you that a lot of clubs are not going to just are not going to sit out. They're going to be, I try to be active and try to improve their ball clubs, even though they don't know if there's going to be fans or not. And the Braves don't need to be one of those teams because you have Ozzy and Ronnie and, you know, under really team friendly deals, you're going to uh, presumably extend Freddie Freeman. You know, you have to be able to make, changes to your roster in order to improve it or at very least hold steady to where you were because otherwise you're really wasting a golden opportunity here yeah they, they got to go i mean we all know that we'll, we'll probably say it again 10 more times but this is this is the window when with all the team friendly deals they have and um you know freddie making not that much for next year and that's a point that we'll actually discuss right now um because freddie freddie's extension is going to be a topic all winter long unless the deal gets done or until the deal gets done um Anthopolis made some normal comments about that, saying, and I quote, we plan on and expect to have Freeman a, as a Brave for a long time, end quote. That's the party line. But this is the last year on his deal coming up now. Um, there's been some talk on this for a long time, but now this is this is the time for an extension. 
um, you, you do not want to let Freddie Freeman get good free agency. So I think everyone's kind of expecting it to get, to get done, and I, I am too, to be honest with you, but this is they, they need to go ahead and do it. Uh, I, I'm not sure what Freeman's going to command. Um, it's going to be a lot, and I'll say this right now. I'll, I'll, I'll speak only for me. Freddie Freeman has no obligation to take a uh, hometown discount to stay with the Braves. He is a uh, he's an MVP level player. Uh, yep. He should take as much money as he thinks he's worth. And yeah, he, he probably will give a little bit back for the security of the extension and wanting to stay in Atlanta. But you should not expect him to take uh, a huge discount. He's really good and deserves money. Just my thoughts. Yeah, he, I mean, he, well, yeah, he's been playing at below market value for. You know, however long it's been. I mean, he's like, making twenty million dollars a year, but I mean, people are going to think that you're crazy for saying below market value with the deal he's making. But I think what was it, eight years, one thirty-five? Like that was that's a lot of money, but he's been better than that the entire time. <laughs> so yeah, he 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 deserves to get paid, and I don't think the Braves are going to like do a, like a crazy low ball deal. If they do, it's they better not. <laughs> uh, oh, I, I, go ahead and sign Scott and I up for that podcast because. You know, and it's going to run long because I will be upset. They but. just have to get it done. I mean, this, it's honestly pretty yeah, simple that, to me. Like, you got to get it done. You got to give them. It's not like you have to just write them a blank check, but you have a, you have a window here, and letting letting that go into next season is not what you want to do for the guy who's been the face of the franchise for a decade now. It's just not what you do. No, and, and I don't. I think. By all accounts, this is a good, healthy relationship, right, Freddie? Yeah, been, he wants to be here. He he wants to be here. He has his family here. Um, never. I mean, honestly, Freddie is all you can really ask for is your face of your franchise, right? No drama, no stress, no off the field issues. Um, he's already made a lot of money. He deserves and will get paid very, very well. And I have never seen or heard anything to make me believe that a deal won't get done. Um, he's, he's publicly said he wants to play his whole career here. I know obviously at the end of the day, money will probably <laughs> as, as we're there, all things will make the the final decision, but I would truly be stunned, right? As we sit here on October 25th, 2020, if Freddie Freeman is not on the Braves in two years, I like, I would put it on like a 90, 90 plus percent chance that a deal gets done. Um, uh, I don't know. Obviously none of us are privy to negotiations and what Freddie's thinking and what the Braves are thinking, but I would be truly stunned if they don't get something done soon. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's well said. It's not impossible, and this is a sport where it's not like you have a franchise tag. Like, if he gets the free agency, he can leave, and you can't do anything about it. But uh, And that's why you need to lock him up now. I think everyone's assuming it's going to get done. I'm assuming it's going to get done. But uh, that's uh, something to monitor that we'll, we'll be talking about as it goes. Um, the other stuff from Anthopolis was not really that like huge. Uh, there was one note about Mike Soroka, who's now apparently wearing shoes and walking around, which is a good sign. Yes. Uh, I know Eric rejoices at that at that news. Yes. Um, I'm not sure what that means in terms of timeline. We'd all be guessing, but you're hoping he could pitch at some point next year. Maybe not opening day, but something uh, later on. Yeah, I mean, I I don't. This isn't mean Achilles injuries. They're just not. They don't have that kind of timeline. I mean, you know, you have to kind of because it's his plant foot. Like you have to, you know kind of be a little bit more careful but you know Achilles injuries especially if you get like give them like months to actually recover and heal up properly as I mean we've seen guys come back from even before the time a timeline that would be before opening day but you know because it's his plant foot and you know you really kind of want to just make sure then I don't expect I don't know if I necessarily think he is a lock to start opening day or be around opening day 
But I don't think it's like a season long thing unless he has like an infection or no. you know a, a setback where something else happens. It's it's kind of yeah. funny. It's kind of funny because I cover basketball and and Achilles is like death in basketball. Like you're out for a year and a half pretty much. But in baseball, mm. it's not that not the same thing. So I I actually had to tell myself that when it when it happened, it's like well, he's a pitcher. This is not an elbow. It's not a shoulder. And while Achilles is not. It's not good, quite obviously. It's not quite as bad of an injury in a, in a baseball sense as I was thinking in my mind when it first happened. Well, and even if, as you said, it's it's not a traditional injury for a pitcher, but in this day and age, too, teams are limiting innings, on especially their young pitchers. And I know Soroka's been around for a little bit now, but he is not somebody who's going to throw 200-plus innings even in a healthy year or or. 200 innings might be his cap, right? Because you just don't want to put that crazy stress on his arm and elbow. So even if he does miss a couple of weeks early on in the year, just to make sure his his strength is fully back and he's able to be 100%, um, it's not the end of the world because generally teams are going to figure out a way to work in some downtime during a season. So for him, it might make sense to do that on the front end and then, and then hopefully he's ready to go. Um, maybe he is 100% by opening day. By all means, I will sign up 10 times out of 10 for a fully healthy Mike Soroka to begin the year. But ultimately, I hope they just err on the side of caution because he is, of course, of such vital importance to the team. It would be really helpful if the DH was in place, too, because not having to run the bases yep. is, is kind of it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> like, you know, you don't have to run out sack bunts. You don't have to run out yeah. slow rollers to second base, stuff like that. So. Good point. The Braves yeah. would Anything. love to have a DH yeah. for a number of reasons, one of which yep. is Marcelo Zuna, yep. and the other one, <laughs> the other one is, uh, is Mike Soroka yep. and other things. But, yeah, we'll, we'll see, by the way. The latest on that is that there isn't a latest. There was a report from, I think it was a guy in uh, that covers the Twins, that said he was hearing that it was not a done deal that they're going to have the DH. Uh, they're going to have to negotiate it because if they go, if they just simply go back to the CBA, it's in the CBA. There's not a DH in the, in the National League, so they have to talk about it. They have to set something up. We'll see. I do want to just remind people of one little thing about this: the Braves signed Marcelo Zuna before they knew there was a DH. That's all I'll say. They, yeah. they they hate they hate his defense. That's, that's well documented. Gonna... I'm just saying. I know they hate his defense. We saw that they refused no. to play him in the outfield. Well, but well, yeah, and they signed I, him. I think his his de- and his defense, even that they they thought it was bad, it was worse than what I I, was I totally agree. It was worse than I thought to be sure. I mean, we thought. I mean, I I said I'll take I'll own it myself. I thought he got a lot more hate than he should have for his defense before he arrived at spring training. And it was clear he couldn't throw. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm not telling you that they want to sign him to not be a DH if there does if there's no DH, but I will say it's not impossible that if the DH has not happened, they could still try to sign him, because you assume the DH would come the following year, and you might sign him to a multi-year deal, sure, all that stuff. All I'm saying is there's not a zero percent chance that he comes back to Atlanta if there's not a DH, which I think most people are just saying, well, you know, if there's no DH, you can't sign him. Uh, I get that, but I think there's not. It's not impossible in my mind that they might try to hide him and left, especially with Pache in center and Ronnie in right. You can you can be a little bit more aggressive. I feel like just saying. Yeah, and it would, and again, like everyone seems to think that in the new CBA now, you know, the a looming work stoppage is you know another issue with that whole situation. But I don't think the DH is going to be the, is going to be the hang up there. I just find it hard to believe that the DH, which the players' union wants and the owners want. And it seems like everyone is on board and saying that it was just better to have the DH in, in place, you know, instead of watching pitchers try to hit because I mean, like these guys just don't know how to hit at all, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that like it's just it's just objectively bad. I have a hard time believing they couldn't come to agreement unless it's owners saying that they simply don't want to spend any more money than they have to on their lineup. 
And maybe that's possible, but I just find that hard to believe. I think it's going to happen too, just for the record. I'm, I'm not, it's definitely possible that they, that they don't find an agreement because baseball does stupid things on a regular basis. But I think the DH is uh, more likely to be there than not, is my guess. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I, I can't imagine this becoming a super contentious point of issue. And as you said, with the CBA, it's, I, I think if even if not 2021, it is like 95% guaranteed to be here in 2022. And for all the reasons we kind of lined out, if if Marcelo Zuna's bat in the middle of the order protecting Freddie Freeman means that you just kind of have to close your eyes whenever a ball gets hit to left field and you there are options defensively, right? You can play Pache over a few steps. You can sub him out late eighth, ninth innings if you're up by a little bit and he's not due to hit again. There are ways to cover up defensive indifferences or deficiencies, I guess, if 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 it means you're getting Marcelo Zuna's bat in the middle of your order. Yeah. Um, last thing, uh, Anthopoulos did acknowledge that Ronald Acuna was, quote, banged up with the wrist in the NLCS and the playoffs overall. Honestly, this shouldn't really need to be acknowledged because both the player and the team said it on the record in early October that he was injured. Um, but apparently this became a point of contention with some people in the local media that didn't either pay attention to that or whatever. I'll uh, leave that alone name, for now. Name, but name, I will not name names. names. I will not do that. It's not what I do. But uh, it's just, um, yeah, okay. listen, I, I have to cover, I, I cover lots of sports in the local Atlanta market. I'm not trying to start a war, but I thought it was just baffling the way that it was discussed. Like, it was, this is not some conspiracy theory. He was, he was hurt. They said he was hurt. He said he was hurt. So did Snit. Uh, there was no mystery here. Like you, you can debate how much it affected him, all that stuff. That's stuff that we'll that we'll never know. But it was very clear Ronald Acuna was injured because he told us that he was. So, yeah, yeah. And, well, yeah and, uh, said... Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say. Well, he got hurt early in the or at the end of the year, and then he rolled over on his wrist in game. What was that? Game three, game four, whatever. So, yeah, he One was not those, right. Yeah. He was not a hundred percent. He he was just missing. Um, he is very very good when he's healthy, and he, even if he is. I think naturally he's just a kind of a streaky hitter. We've seen stretches where he looks really good stretches where he looks really bad. Um, hitting a baseball is hard enough. And when you, when one of your two wrists is not healthy, I can only imagine what that does to you. Um, so hopefully it doesn't sound like at least right now that surgery is going to be recommended. Um, obviously that is the last thing you want him to do, but I guess if, uh, if that's ultimately what it's going to take and then he's able to be a hundred percent moving forward, then, then you go for it. I will say that, you know, Ronnie was pretty clear that, you know, they felt like they, some, they were going to have to do something in order to fix his wrist. And so while I'm heartened by the fact that, you know, they're talking about they, it seems like they're going to be able to avoid injury, avoid surgery and that rest is going to be enough to heal this thing, what would be really bad is if they don't do anything over the off season to get this issue cleared up. And the problem is fundamentally is we don't know what the issue is, right? He is just hurt. <laughs> that's, that's what we know right now is that his wrist hurts. You know, we don't know what's going on in terms of that, what that injury is. Uh, and frankly, I am not a medical professional. So even if we did know what the injury was, I'd be pretty you know skeptical of any medical opinion that I could come up with as to why he should or shouldn't have surgery. But I think it would be particularly bad as if they, you know, they let him wait these next four months or whatever and then he comes back and his wrist is still bothering him and they have to do a cleanup procedure or, you know, get whatever repaired. And then he's out for three or four months in the middle of the season next year. So, you know, and considering just how Acuna 
was acting on some swings uh, when he when he planted his planted his hand and really felt like he looked like he was in a lot of pain in in the NLCS. You know, combined with just you know what we know about what he said and what the team has done, and you know the time that he missed. I don't want this to be mishandled as such that you know we don't want to give him make him have surgery because that means he might miss a, a couple of weeks at the beginning of the season. Whereas you know if you let this linger, it's something that could make him out for a long time. That's the only con- the only thing I'm concerned about with it. Yeah, and there's the history too. Obviously, the Freeman wrist will scare everybody that's been watching this team for a long time. The fact that he battled it for quite some time, finally had it cleaned up, and it worked out well. But yeah, it's not ideal. But I think if they think he doesn't need surgery, that's probably positive <laughs> we'll see how that goes uh, i'm with you though eric there's a little bit of my uh you know back of my mind that's a little bit that's a little worried about that but he was injured we'll never know how much it hurt him in the uh, playoffs he didn't play well um no, no way around that he did not play well in the nlcs i'm not defending i'm not defending that it's just kind of obvious he wasn't 100 sure. so there you go um all right boys we've been going for uh, more than an hour it's time to wrap this thing up uh, i will go to scott first then eric please uh deliver any final thoughts you might have and tell people that where they can find us. Cause if we might have some new listeners at the uh, sort of outset of this uh, off season that we're heading into. So please go ahead and do all of that and yeah. share your thoughts. Yeah, we'll be here. Uh, hopefully a lot. Hopefully it's a uh, entertaining and busy off season. If, if nothing else, it's a lot easier and a lot more fun to do these when we have news, but we will be here either way, rain or shine. Uh, thanks to everybody who's tuned in here recently. Um, I am at Scott Coleman 55 on the Twitter machine and be sure to check out the site and all that good stuff too. Uh, talking chop. There's just, just the beginning for our off season coverage, player recaps, look aheads, of course, all the rumors and as that stuff gets going. So, um, thanks for everybody for uh, tuning in. Yeah. I want to just echo what Scott said. I mean, obviously we have a lot of content coming up on the site, but the biggest thing is, Big thanks to all of you, our listeners and our readers that have made this site. We were not sure how this was going to go this season in terms of, you know, how our numbers were going to bounce back given the pandemic. And, you know, that combined with an election year is usually like a death sentence for sports uh, entertainment sites and that our community was around and continued to support us. And in some respects, even grew was really big for us and, you know, allows us to continue to make this content. I am actually going to use the remainder of my time here Uh-oh. to ask both of you of both of you a question, which is pretty on brand for this podcast. Uh, I want Scott to answer first, then Brad. Right now, this is the beginning of the po- of the offseason for the Braves. What are the percentage chances, percentage chance, that Nick Markakis is under contract oh, Lord. with the Braves in 2021? <laughs> Scott, you um, first. I will say... <laughs> I mean... Great content. Uh, if I had to, if I had to guess, I'd say twenty percent. I think there's a, a possibility That's they bring him back, yeah. but it would have to be. I mean, he he looks so old in the final month of the season in the playoffs. Um, if they want to bring him back as like purely a left-handed bench bat and Ugh. like he legitimately isn't going to play because there's three really good outfield. I mean, you already have two. Well, you already have one really good outfielder and presumably a second everyday outfielder with Pache. Um, as long as that third outfielder is legitimately good and not in need of a platoon. Um, if they wanted to bring Marcakis back as the clubhouse guy who is your occasional left-handed bench pinch hitter, I would take it. But um, I would say 20% would be my answer to your question. My problem with that is that if he's under contract, that's not how he'll be used. Yeah, okay. So, But, <laughs> but I'll go to Brad. First of all, this is like Groundhog Day. We've had, the, we've had, the, we've had this discussion yep, before. Yep, that's why I did it. Uh, numerous times. 
my answer, and I uh, am only slightly kidding, is 97%. 97 seems low. That's, 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 that's depressing. Uh, no, I'm I'm kind yeah. of kidding. I will say, if they bring him back, it will not surprise me, just because I'm incapable of being surprised by that at this point in time. But this is the same conversation we had before. Uh, this year, it's harder to sell, even than previous years, because he just wasn't nearly as good. Um, you know, he's had better seasons than this. He's also was younger at those at that point in time. Um, I'm with you, Scott. Everything you said is correct. Just objectively take out your heart and all that stuff. If he is your 24th, well, I guess 27th guy with an expander, however you want to say that, if he's your second, if he's your second to worst bench bat, whatever it is, and a clubhouse guy, he's beloved, he's a vet, he hits right-handed pitching, if that's the way that they would actually use him, I'd have no issue with it. As Eric said, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, the only way that you can ensure he would not play too much is just signing over him with big money players that I don't see them really happening. So we'll dive into that, of course, when we get into the lineup review podcast. But um, the the real answer is probably higher than it should be. Is It's <laughs> probably the answer that I would give you. All right, my my contributions to the content machine are are over. Well done. Uh, thanks a lot, everybody. We really appreciate you. Yeah, thanks everybody for listening to the podcast. Thank you for subscribing. If you've not subscribed, there's still plenty of time to do that. In fact, this is something that I've said before in somewhat joking fashion, and I'll say it again now. You are more than free to subscribe on multiple podcast platforms, download multiple times, leave five star feedback on multiple places, unsubscribe and resubscribe. All the way that all the ways to cheat and support the podcast, I will definitely endorse all of those right now to support the show but honestly uh all kidding aside thank you for listening to the podcast thank you for all the support throughout october it was our biggest month ever by a wide margin so we really appreciate all of that subscribe stay tuned we'll be back again yeah. probably in about a week i would imagine but yeah i mean semi-weekly i would say most of the time we'll be here every week maybe uh, we'll skip one every once in a while and i think road to atlanta will probably make a trifle return at some point in the off season we'll have plenty of stuff yeah we're gonna on this, we'll on be this around it's coming. We will, we will be around. It's hard with no no minor league season and no information to speak of, but we're going to try to make some things work to reflect a little bit on Road to Atlanta. So they'll be back. And if, if you're a new listener, that's our uh, it's our minor league show that Eric hosts with a cavalcade of stars talking about the minor league guys, and it's, it's, it's great content. So that's coming too. Same feed, so go ahead one more time. Subscribe. Follow Eric. Follow Scott. Follow me if you'd like to. And we'll see you all next time.